Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, it's me, Sam Baker. And before we go on with the show, I want to tell you about an exciting new initiative coming from The Shift. Many of you have asked how you can support the podcast further and get more Shift into the bargain. Well, now you have the opportunity to do just that by joining The Shift community. You can go to steady.media forward slash The Shift and become a member of The Shift. In return for supporting the podcast, you'll receive exclusive weekly newsletters, community membership and plenty of other perks aimed at bringing us all closer together. That's Steady. Dot media forward slash the shift. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no holds barred truth about being a woman post 40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. Who hasn't looked at those things you should have done by the time you're 30, 40, 50 lists and rolled their eyes? And yet, consciously or not, many of us still live our lives according to those really arbitrary timelines. But what does middle age feel like if you've been acing those lists since you were 16 and then suddenly you're not? Today's guest, Emma Forrest, was an early achiever. She had a newspaper column by the age of 16, had written three novels by 30, and then moved to Hollywood and became a screenwriter. There, she seemingly had it all. Job, famous husband, fabulous house, beautiful daughter, and then she didn't. So how does it feel to be hitting 40 and walking away from the dream? Swapping the LA mansion for an attic flat in North London and an ostensibly glamorous marriage for a relationship with yourself. It's not made up. It is true that a woman, as they come into their 40s, is coming into their peak sex drive and their sexual power. And it's a different kind of sex if you're not driving towards a a permanent relationship. You can have a permanent relationship, but you don't need it for reasons of procreation. It's just, you're free to come at it from a different angle. Emma joined me to talk about her new memoir, Busy Being Free, and how she freed herself from a lifelong obsession with romantic attachment. Rediscovering yourself in your 40s, why women who choose to be alone unnerve people, and what an enfant terrible looks like at 45. I should warn you, there's also discussion of eating disorders, cutting and suicide. Thanks for coming on The Shift, Emma. Um, I'm just going to go 
straight in, like practically the first sentence of the book after the prologue is the school mum saying, how did this happen to you? Like, wow, kick me in the guts, why don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I actually am really, really lucky that the parents in the class are awesome because you know how most people's primary wound is like first heartbreak. Mine really is school bullying because a weird thing about it is it was also the parents. I just had a bad luck what, class where... The parents bullied you? The, the, the parents would say, yeah, yeah, it was very, very odd. So my grandfather was an immigrant whose great gift to us was that we should get to go to private school and he paid for it. And that was not good. <laughs> that was not good. Um, and just by bad luck, I was in a class with quite a lot of anti-Semitic bullying. And... Yeah. Um, what you know if it's eight-year-olds is that they've heard that from their parents because how could they begin Yeah, that's to... totally where they've got it from. Yeah, so that is the primary wound. Um, it's like eight-year-olds going, don't you feel bad that you killed Christ? I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about and neither do you. What? Right. What kind of eight-year-old just comes what out with that? Want to hear it from their parents. So... Jesus Christ. All that um, is the primary thing I think and any good review or adulation or handsome boyfriend I've ever had is a F you to stuff that happened when I was eight it's so sad but there you go but I was really I mean I was struck by so many things through the book but there was one thing when you're talking about middle age and you're talking about how you know so much of what you do is about that proving people wrong yeah. isn't it yeah it's about proving like the people who said you were x yeah. at five yeah. at ten yeah. yeah so literally with you starting with eight yeah. yeah and all the way through the people who said you couldn't do stuff or the person who said you were that kind of thing yeah. and you're still fighting those battles right up into your 40s and well beyond. if anything I think you get greater clarity on it like going I'm right to carry that as my primary wound or I'm right to be upset about that and I sometimes think if I ever um, got it together to make a podcast I would call it why did you hate me and you'd get to go back (laughs) you'd get to go back to childhood and really examine with the person because it is quite weird when you think through your life in childhood in teens in 20s and 30s of those moments you're like oh that person doesn't like me yeah and it's like really visceral it's like when you're more grown up and people kind of say in that kind of really balanced way oh you know well not everybody can like you it's just one of those things and they particularly say it about the internet Mm. but I still don't think I'm very well adjusted about that. Mm. I think I talk about this in, in the book and I certainly laugh about it in my head a lot is that I always say my self-esteem problem is that my mother gave me too high self-esteem. <laughs> like, Yeah, what do you mean by uh, that? Because I read that a couple of uh, times and I thought, what I, even is too high self-esteem? I just mean the, the, the first time I liked a guy who didn't like me back, I just, I couldn't even process it. And my mum had to explain to me that, that the people I was attracted to wouldn't always be attracted to me back. And I was like, well, the, but then why did you say I was the best in the school play? And why did you say... I was the most beautiful, like I remember standing up in the bath to get out when I was about 12, climbing out of the bath, seeing myself in the mirror and it actually filling me with cold dread for the first time that my mother might not be right, that I was the most perfect girl in the world. Like, <laughs> what if I was only the ninth most perfect person in the world? So yeah, that, that, got, that got knocked out of me, you know, by men with emergent sexuality, unfortunately. God, it's so weird, isn't it? It's like, it's a bit like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, isn't it? Because it's like, 
number of people I know who would say, oh, I wish that my parents yeah. had made me feel better about yeah. myself. And then it's it's almost like you've had the reverse and it didn't work either. Yeah, I do think um, it sort of blew my mind and to some extent continues to blow my mind when you realise as a woman you're meant to feel grateful for a man being attracted to you. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, that's why exactly. it can be so hard to figure out what you're into what turns you on because as a young woman you're so caught up in gratitude for them wanting you it's such a weird thing isn't it because I actually wrote down when I was making notes I mean I actually went out with my first boyfriend because he fancied me he hadn't even crossed my I mean I was like a you can imagine a ginger kind of swatty kid if I thought about it it wouldn't have occurred to me that he would have fancied me but I only went out with him because he fancied me you know it was not anything to do with whether or not I fancied him I don't think women do that till 27 <laughs> that's the age oh, when it, 27 yeah. well that's the whole Saturn's return you know when you do you know about that no go um, well actually the greatest no doubt album is Saturn's return when Gwen Stefani was turning 27 and was wrestling with like most 27 year old women like what are you actually into um do you want to do that are you doing that for approval it's your first time that your life is coming back on itself if you believe in astrology which my take on astrology for what it's worth is that possibly it's nonsense but anything that enough people believe in does hold an energetic power um so yeah 27 is really interesting because it's when a lot of women made it like it's when cameron diaz became a star it's when debbie harry became a star it's an interesting yeah it's really interesting but it's definitely for me the first time i was able to grapple with do i want to sleep with that person yeah or am i just doing it because he yeah wants it yeah so interesting, isn't it? I mean, one of the things that I've found is that many women, I mean, maybe it's a third cycle mm. or something, but many of the women I speak to don't even reach that point until they're into their 40s, yeah, until yeah. they're around about, you know, what are you, 42? No, I'm 45 now. 45. Yeah, at 42 when I started writing. Around about yeah. your, your age yeah. then. But let's, before we go on to that... Yes. I wanted to talk about that comment that that school mum made mm. because it, after I kind of went, oh my God, that's rude. Mm. Afterwards, I thought, I kind of see yeah. where she's coming yeah. from because if it can happen to you, yeah. you know, like you've been massively successful since the age of 16 from outside. Yeah, yeah. You're making, yeah, yeah. I'm making a face. Yeah. Sorry, go on. You're making yeah. a face. I know. And everybody, I've got to say, it doesn't matter how successful yeah. you are, everybody makes that face yeah. when you describe them as successful. Yeah. yeah. But from outside you've been massively successful and you kind of you know you had it all you had yeah. the husband and the house yeah. and the career yeah. and the kids yeah. and the and all those things that we're meant to want yeah. and meant to strive for and on the timeline you were kind of like mm. right there mm. you ticked all the boxes if it can happen to you what hope is there for the rest of us i guess is what she was saying <sighs> that's very generous of her of you yeah i think um I think also because I was coming to London from California, California, for a lot of good reasons, remains sort of a dreaming board for people in Europe. You know, in London, it Mm -hmm. does still seem like sort of a a wormhole or a portal. There's like a a magic and a mystery to it. Uh, So I think I feel like if I had been returning to London from like Berlin, maybe she wouldn't have felt that same way. You know? Yeah, you weren't coming to London from a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, it's like you're coming back into black and white having been in Oz, you know. 
But can you tell us a little bit, I mean, not too much, because obviously it's what the book's about, but just a tiny bit about what that process was that led up to that change, that decision, if you like. Yeah, well, it's peculiar and it's not peculiar. It's that I filed for divorce pretty much the same week, if not the, the same month that Trump was elected to office. I was living... In America, I've been living there a long time and I just turned 40 and I thought that's really interesting that the most powerful man in the world is also probably one of the worst men in the world Um, Mm. and someone who is famous, amongst other things, for his visceral disgust at middle-aged women. And so he became, I've told my ex-husband this, he became very much entwined with my ex-husband in my head I always sort of felt, yeah, no, but I felt like my ex sort of was like, if Trump were talented and handsome and had charm, um, he's like a bizarro good, he was like a bizarro good reflection of him in my mind um, because they, my ex-husband has a a short fuse and, 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 um, you know, is a very eccentric, unusual, uh, massive character. and certainly in the bleak parts of divorce, I really I felt haunted by Trump. I felt haunted by this person who consistently has to say out loud how disgusting he thinks middle-aged women are. Um, and I also, you know, on a really base level, felt I needed to be near my family who were in London. So that's how I ended up coming back to what's important about the book is the source of shame because we leave mm. where we come from because it, it it carries the top notes of shame that don't really burn off you know do you think that coming back I mean obviously the divorce and Trump and coming back they're all intertwined mm. but where did the decision to be celibate for a while it, come in to all well of that. I liked look the writer in me thought that a presidential term a great book the presidential <laughs> term of abstinence was just a really great period of time looking at Trump's face didn't make me want to have sex with anyone so I thought I'm just going to wait till he's gone but you know since the moment I was sexually active I've lived my life guided by romantic obsession and Elizabeth Taylor once explained that the reason she'd never done a nude scene on screen was that once you take your clothes off there's nothing left to do but put them back on again so there wasn't anywhere left for me to go except to try none of it it felt right and I think I also was quite in my way as we all ought to be by divorce, you know, pretty scarred by it and freaked out by being around men full stop. You know, I just didn't even want to go to a dinner party with men there. Yeah. A certain extent, do you think, was there a conscious or unconscious kind of like rebuilding of, I don't know, how to put it really, sexual, the sexual boundaries that you almost had never had? Yes, 100% yes. Uh... Yeah, like I say, I think you get an opportunity sort of every seven years as a woman to redefine for yourself what you're into. And I think because of the age I am, the good template I had was growing up with Madonna, right? Which meant that I was taught from an early age that you can do whatever you want with whoever you want to do it with. Whereas if I'd grown up under Christina Aguilera, under Britney Spears, the message is really different. It's like, you have to appear. I mean, especially now with influencers, 
You have to mm-hmm. appear sexually available to whoever is interested in you. And that's really different messaging. So I had the right template to every so often stop and say, what turns me on? You know, and is what turned me on five years ago still what works for me? Did you know, kind of as a, as a young woman, when you were going through various relationships, yeah. would you, if someone had said to you, what do you want? Yeah. What do you want in bed? Did you know the answer to that? No idea, but also remember, well, not remember, for anyone who doesn't know, because I write about it in the first memoir, In Your Voice in My Head, it was a chronic self-harmer and a bulimic, mm. which I haven't, you know, I've been free of that for, I think, a good, at least 15 years, if not more, nothing. Um, but... I did always think that bulimia is the evil twin of orgasm for women who are pretty effed up about their sexuality because it is, you know, the unstoppable crashing Mm. wave that comes over your body, that leaves your skin all flushed, um, that makes it all go quiet. And self-harm, cutting, very much uh, was in the same category of I don't want to feel this feeling make it go away which is what great sex should do is make it go away Mm. um so i don't know if i would have recovered from all of that without the stepping stone of getting into what was good for me in bed what i enjoyed and i think i mean to be completely uh i was thinking about this to be completely blunt you tell me if i've been too blunt like I'm a, I'm a small person and I always wanted to be with, with big men because I had gone into the world too early as an adult and I liked physically mm. feeling like a little person, you know, and probably still do. Like it's a bummer for... I know there's short men who wrestle with, you know, the unfairness of the dating inequity about, you know, male height. For me, it just served a psychological function of I want to feel small in the world. I was really interested in in the context of that, of you also saying about how you were the person you saw in their eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think so many people identify. Yeah, there's that. um, It's like a really great version of a hangover where for the 24 hours, 48 hours, if you're lucky, week after you first sleep with them, you see yourself as they do and you sort of get, it's like you get to ride the coattails of their positive opinion of you until as with this memoir you can conjure that for yourself until you do have a positive opinion of yourself and don't need the sex to guide you there how important do you think the timing was in terms of your age and where you're at in your life because of course the divorce Mm. and splitting with your husband happened and and that triggered all of Mm. this but had the whole thing been five years earlier, do you think it would have had the same out? I mean, it's such a hypothetical question. Well, no, I, no, I've thought about it because obviously, well, there's two things in play. One is that I had my kid already. So there was no anxiety about needing to meet someone, assuming I wanted to have a child that wasn't in place. So you can then use sex just for pleasure rather than for where is this relationship going? And then I suppose the other thing that came into play that I have been thinking about lately in the the current culture you understandably read so much or hear so much from middle-aged women or women approaching a certain age who struggle with issues of fertility um, Mm. with anxiety about fertility and a a peculiarity I've just understood recently is fertility is most likely inherited so my mum 
had us in her 40s and I am 45 and I I know because I've been and checked this year I remain like weirdly fertile so that is its own strangeness because I I know that 12 months from now that won't be the case like there's going to be a steep drop off of course there's Mm. going to be this time next year it won't be the same story but for now if I wanted to have a kid I could and again to continue to use sex for the pleasure of sex rather than have that in your head feels sometimes I feel like I'm being ungrateful like you're letting this wither on the vine you're using sex just for sex at a time when when many women your age would you know be over the moon to be able to try again so that's something I've thought about did your mum have a later menopause I haven't asked her that actually I guess I should um I don't know I don't know I know she was kind of a pioneer amongst the kids that I knew in having children late and I know that she says she felt out of step and a lot older than the other mums at school and like she's like I don't want to play tennis with people and I don't want to like she's just like I'm tired so yeah I yeah. guess you were born in the 70s weren't you yeah so it was unusual. that was yeah yeah well like it was unusual for parents people to have divorced parents mm-hmm. as well my parents are together my parents are still together which is the other thing that confused me is you know they're still together despite both being like quite crazy in their own way but their neuroses fit together really well so I think I always thought oh I'm pretty weird I should look for another really weird person (laughs) but I just never had the right jigsaw bit you know of weirdness so far yeah (laughs) just yet your mum was um a bit freaked out by your decision to stay partnerless wasn't she yeah and I hadn't realized that I just I, I felt so good about those almost five years of celibacy that it never crossed my mind until she told me one day when we were alone on a beach during a lockdown um she just said really quietly we were looking out at the ocean and she said really quietly do you really not want a partner and I and it hit me for the first time that she was scared for me and that made me feel really sad and really guilty Cause, what do you think she was scared about? You no, know, just not having someone to look after you if and when your health fails as you age, you know. Um, with my kid being a single parent, all of that. So I felt guilty that I had been so enjoying all those years alone that that, that just hadn't crossed my mind. I guess it's that difference though, isn't it, between loneliness and aloneness? Solitude, you know, solitude. Yeah, but um, I've always been like that, it's like... I don't know. My kid also likes solitude. And there's so many times at the weekend as a single parent when I'll know other mums who are brilliant at like, we're going to the playground, we're doing this and that. And there's a lot of time at the weekend when, you know, she's in the corner building Lego and I'm reading The New Yorker. And we're not engaging with each other. and We love each other. But I guess I've got a pretty good um, match as a child because she enjoys solitude too. It's a weird thing, though. I think people are very disquieted by women who make a choice to be alone. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, and I know your situation is a bit different, but like a friend of mine left her husband a few years ago. Mm. Nobody would believe that she wasn't leaving him for someone Mm, else. mm, 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 mm. Because they just couldn't imagine why you would do that. And she's like, well, I'm leaving him for myself. Well, yeah, do you know what? I completely relate to that because the truth is... I remember there was a weekend 
when my I wasn't telling my parents my dating life and the fact that there wasn't any. Um, and I wanted to go away to Copenhagen for a long weekend and have them watch my kid. And an instinctive white lie was that I wanted to go away with someone and I wasn't ready to talk about them yet. But that's what I wanted to do. And I felt like that would be easier for them to understand and feel good about me leaving my child for a long weekend. I don't know how it would have been if I told the truth, but I know that I instinctively told that white lie. So interesting, (laughs) isn't it? Because it's like, in a way, it's not taking something for yourself. Yeah. Mm. So weird. Mm. I mean, it's not, I get it totally, but it's so weird the way I think that we do that Mm. and the way Mm -mm -mm. that so many people do that. It is a thing that comes up again and again Mm. when people talking about partners and leaving partners and being alone and kind of sense of you're not being allowed to be alone regardless of whether your kids are five or 15 Mm. or even Mm. 25 Mm, mm, mm. yeah and it makes other people feel better yeah I mean I I definitely thought I wanted my kid to go to a state school she goes to a state school and it surprises me it's just peculiar it's worked out this way that I am the only single parent in class that really surprised me we just got unlucky not that the other parents aren't extremely welcoming and friendly they are but um i am aware that she's aware of the stuff that the other kids do with both parents you know when you decided to go back to having sex mm. presumably went once trumpeted yep buggered yep. off reluctantly yeah. um how hard was it not to fall back into the old patterns I think I did fall back into the old patterns, but I at least could see them for the first time. Like I could really see them and go, oh, well, this is a first step to to recognise it. I'm not completely sure how to rewire it yet, but there it is. (laughs) You know, and and things I recognise, like I had had all that time, just me and my kid, where I put away all boxes and boxes of clothes and realised so many of the outfits I bought had been constructed around romantic and sexual fantasy. Like, if I wear this, he will. And when this falls from my shoulder, when this spaghetti strap falls from my shoulder, um, this heel is going to look, you know, like this in the restaurant and just putting it all away and just wearing, you know, utilitarian clothes during a lockdown. Um, That was the first thing I identified was the, the direct connection for me between spending on on wardrobe and and romantic obsession so the amount of money i saved through celibacy and through not constructing these sexual fantasies that often revolved around clothes was huge What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What was the defining thing? Was it the celibacy? Was it, I don't want to say age, but that kind of point in your life yeah. that you were at? Or, or do you think, how much part did lockdown play in that? Well, lockdown was, I'm loath to say this because I know how painful it was for so many people but because I'm a writer I'd always been at home alone anyway and that's my preference um it's not that I'm shy it's that I I just really I do enjoy my own company and I like being with my friends one-on-one or at a push one-on-two I'm not a drinker I've never been a drinker bars are quite stressful for me even dinner parties at a push are like I find quite difficult um so just having my own company was was the norm or even pleasant for me but it did feel like a magic spell to be on lockdown inside of a lockdown to be you know um untouched by choice and remember I mean you've read the book so it got it became addictive like I stopped Mm -hmm. using tampons and switched to pads because I didn't want anything inside me like that's pretty weird and it did probably become quite obsessive and funnily enough I think a, a, a gateway to being able to have sex again for the first time was going like, oh my God, like, you know what I saw? I had, I had started using with those period pants, you know, that are just like, they're good for the environment. They're oh, yeah. disgusting because you just bleed into your underwear and then you wash them every time. But I think I... So how are they different from ordinary pants? They're just thicker. Yeah, they've got like um, foam in the... They're, oh. they're, they're disgusting. It's disgusting. They're really, really good for the environment and they're gross. And I think I tapped into them because they are disgusting, because you would never wear that in front of a sexual partner or romantic partner. And it was part of my my drawbridge is up, you know. So even just (laughs) switching back from that to tampons was a first micro step towards maybe I'm going to let someone touch me again one day. But I had probably become quite addicted to it yeah was it hard to let someone back in after all that self-containment well if you like yeah so I say in the book that when I found look I also I'm sure my ex-husband stayed in the marriage longer than he otherwise would have I stayed in the marriage longer than I otherwise would have because I was aware that in the time we'd been together apps now were the norm whereas that hadn't existed when we met and I couldn't fathom how you agree to go out with someone you've never smelled before that's what I couldn't go I'm very cat like I've always grown up with <laughs> I've grown up with cats I've always had cats I've probably inherited some of their um peculiarities and just like the idea of not being able to smell someone before you agree to go and meet them is really freaky to me 
So I was very, very loath to try apps. But when I finally did and I matched with someone, I went out with them and it was fine and they were, they were nice and they were smart and pleasant. And I went home crying because I so didn't want to have sex with them. And it was a friend, <laughs> a girlfriend who was like, you know, you don't have to. I was like, oh my God, the, the, the instant female factory reset of he wants to have mm. sex with me, so I guess I'm going to have sex with him. I couldn't believe that after almost five years of celibacy, bam, that, that came yeah, back. Yeah, that just kicked straight back in. Yeah. So that was a lucky phone call because I was like, oh my God, I don't have to have sex with him. And there was nothing wrong with him. I just didn't want to. Just didn't want to. And, yeah. Do you think though, I mean, you're yeah, 10 years younger than me, but I was thinking when I was reading the book, there is a real sense, I certainly felt like when we were younger, mm. to a certain extent, and this kind of slightly contradicts what you were saying mm. about Madonna, mm. but it didn't feel so much like there was a choice. Mm. Whereas a bit like now... I don't know. I mean, kind of back then there was a bit of a, and maybe it's also kind of where I come from, but that you've made your bed, so you lie in it. Mm-hmm. That Do you mean literally oh. where you grew up? Well, I mean, that. I mean, I mean kind of culturally. Okay. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, so kind of culturally that you've made your bed, so you lie in it. I mean, that whole insidious phrase that did the rounds for about 15, 20 years where people were talking about date rape as opposed to call it what right. it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 And also the kind of, and heterosexuality mm. as well, that all these things, they are, this is what it is. Yeah. This is how they are. And it does feel to me now, for, again, from outside, like there's a bit more, feels like there's more choice. But then the flip side of that is there's also Instagram going, do it like this, look like that, whatever. Yeah. When I look at Instagram, I, it doesn't look, to me like those look I would say this because I'm older now but that those girls in their early 20s on Instagram know what the hell they want to me it doesn't look like they have more choice it looks like there's even more people they're meant to look available to not Mm. just to any man who's interested what if there's other genders who are interested what if there's other you know it just it looks much tougher to me I mean what did you I'm interested by the self, the reflection, Mm, I think, mm. that you were getting from sexual relationships when you were younger. Mm. How did the process of celibacy get rid of that? Or did it get rid of it? Um, Well, I think, so when sex became great and effective and orgasmic around 27, the truth is a lot of it was what is called trauma bonding, where people who have both experienced trauma that is perhaps complementary attach themselves to each other and a lot is figured out through sex whether or not that's right um or wrong it just is and so like the first epic sexual relationship uh was with someone who had like significant trauma that matched or far exceeded my own and a lot of it was played out and um, tamed in bed and that was my first experience of that and it was amazing apart from in life you're still both traumatized people and can't get along Um, so the next stage post celibacy is how to have great sex that doesn't rely on the intertwining of trauma and I actually think I've done that now yeah was there a lot of therapy involved in that I mean I've been doing therapy since I was a, a, a kid um and or have always come back to it um no I mean I, I still do therapy I don't think that's particularly the reason I just do think 
it's not made up it is true that a woman as they come into their 40s is coming into their peak sex drive and their sexual power and it's a different kind of sex if you're not driving towards a, a permanent relationship if you don't need that like you can have a permanent relationship but you don't need it for reasons of procreation it's just you're free to come at it from a different angle i guess slightly more of a I suppose more of the angle that blokes might come at it. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe. That's very possible, I think. Something I was really fascinated by is I, I certainly operated under the assumption that pornography is damaging for men and for women and that uh, it can only possibly lead to less satisfying, more abusive sex. But the young men that I've slept with post-celibacy who are the ones who have been exposed to it, you know, with 24-hour-a-day access, were way more uh, caring and um, innovative and open in bed than the older men I've been with as a young person. So I think there's some potentially counterintuitive thing about porn that, I'm sure there are men who are broken by it and awful and violent and all of that. But I think some of them maybe have done some learning from it. Maybe. Like I'm trying to understand why else, you know, these young guys are so invested in a woman's pleasure. Because I I noticed when I was reading the books, it had mainly been older men. Yeah. And post-celibacy. Yeah, younger. The men you mentioned were younger. Do you know what... Which seemed like a really big change. It is, but the other template that was set early in my life, and I'm so grateful for it, there's two really key movies that I adore, that I watched, you know, at a really um, malleable age. I love The Addams Family and Addams Family Values. And I absolutely... Yeah, oh God, me too. I love They're them brilliant. so much. And I love the film Mermaids with Cher and Winona Ryder. Yes. That's one of my all-time yes. favourite films. And so at a young age, I was like, oh, for now I'm Winona Ryder, but one day I'm going to be Cher. And I was really... So I was equally excited about both. And the same with Addams Family. I was like, I'm Wednesday, and one day I'm going to get to be Morticia. And, oh, and and I he am. doesn't want to be Morticia. Right, so now I get to be Morticia, now I get to be Cher. It was, it was interesting and sexy being Winona. It was kind of great being Wednesday, but I think the fact that I had those iconic women in my malleable little head actually potentially has made becoming a middle-aged woman in um, positioning myself sexually much easier than it might have been. I'm not lamenting the loss of youth because I always knew that there's an epic sex symbol on the other side. Is that mental? Uh, no, no, because <laughs> I loved, I absolutely loved Morticia too. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever met anybody else. Okay, well, here who, I am. Who yeah. did, but I totally loved and, her. And please, she was big, so... big up for Cher. Come on. Also a god. Oh, like. yeah. Oh, God, always big up yeah. for Cher. Yeah. She has no issues with self-esteem, does she? No, no. Not a one. And we, I think that we're really, no matter how evolved we think we might get, I think we're still uncomfortable with women who are like, I don't have a Mm self-esteem problem. mm -mm. Yeah. I don't have one. You know, I think we find that a bit, because we're meant to. Yeah. Yeah. We're meant to have imposter syndrome and we're meant to feel like we're somehow lucky. Yeah to be where we are I know you've already cringed when I said you were very successful very young but you were um like you know newspaper column at 16 and so I guess 
What does a middle-aged enfant terrible look like? What does a middle-aged enfant... That's a good question. Um, a more refined version of the young enfant terrible, I think. Um, I just think uh, I'm probably more appealing to be around now because I was essentially a suicidal for a lot of my youth um, and that's not pleasant to be around you know that's the great tragedy of people who do commit suicide is if you look in the media at the culture the tabloids it's always like you know tragic so and so what could have been done but the thing is suicides are tragic and suicidal people are extremely difficult to be around so those people who aren't interrupted by a song on the radio or a knock at the door, you know, who don't get out of that horrible moment that they're stuck in and they see it through. There were people around who just found them really difficult because they are, you know? And I think it's sort of the great stroke of luck of my life that I lived long enough to grow out of it, which I think happens for a lot of people. You know, if you can stay alive long enough, you can get to the other side. And part of staying alive long enough is being given the right medication, having the right therapist. And I was really lucky. And I know I understand the, the frustration when Prince Harry talks about mental health. And it's like, mate, you know, there's a two-year waiting list to, to see an NHS therapist who's going to give you two sessions or whatever. You know, it's... Yeah, six I don't, tops and then you can push off. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. I know I was incredibly lucky. Um but I do know to my bones that if you can stay alive long enough, you can recover from it. Do you think that kind of knowledge has superpowered you into middle age? Yeah, but I, I only have the knowledge now. You know, I didn't have the knowledge while I, it was happening. I just got lucky and had the amazing shrink and the amazing family support system, you know, the, the, the loving, too high self-esteem parents <laughs> and the sister who was always able in an incredibly loving way to help me laugh at it. This is in, in my first memoir, but when I was sectioned and sent to a mental hospital and everyone was like, oh my God, you know, what, what's going to become of Emma and the tragedy of Emma? My sister made me her own version of a Hallmark poem card and she had written... <laughs> You're such a lovely person, so sweet and kind and gentle. So I was sad to have to hear that you are going mental. And it really, <laughs> really helped. And that's who she's been in my life, you know, beyond loving her because she's my sister. Just like when you are plagued with self-doubt, you need someone to be like, shut the fuck up. Just one person. Yeah. Just one. Yeah, you know? just the one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not all the people who don't know you. Yeah, so she's been a massive... And have opinions about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting to be middle-aged together, actually, because she's just, I think, two, two or three years younger than me. So that's pretty thrilling to be middle-aged sisters. What does middle-aged look like for you now? Well, I laugh and feel resentful and then laugh again about um, all the public figures, the female icons who, in any list of see how wonderful you could look if, if women actually let themselves age gracefully and with dignity. I know the doctor that all of those women go to. I yeah. know who injects them. And because because when I lived in LA, I went to him once a year too. He would come to Los Angeles from New York for the Oscars and he's a genius. And so I do wonder like 
if my face were my face without once a year Botox I don't know I don't I don't know what's under there you know that I'm sort of curious but not curious enough to do it you know it'd be nice if more women were honest about that if more public fit like it's just it's even worse than the the starlet who's like what did I eat to prepare for this a burger it's like no just stop it's not fair and it's actually something you know when we were talking about um porn and sort of being surprised by the possibility that maybe it hasn't destroyed a generation of all men is that the female porn stars I follow on Instagram, one of the things I, I'm fascinated by is they're the only public women who uh, the injections, the injectables, the Botox, the filler, it's aspirational. Like they're not only completely honest, they're like, you know, I'm shooting tomorrow, today I went and got Botox here, here and here. They're the only ones I follow who are public figures who are completely open about it because I guess once you're that at ease with your most intimate parts, mm. why are you going to lie about having... So that would be really nice if mainstream, iconic, middle-aged women could just stop yeah. lying. Do what you want to do, yeah. but don't pretend you have Yeah, either is fine, you know, but they're different. And to me, it's akin to, I don't know, when people who are getting to the age where they would have to decide are they going to have children or not to ask me about it, I'm like, I absolutely love my kid because she's my kid and she's amazing. But it's not better or worse than not having a kid and it's not more or less lonely. It's different, you know? And that's kind of how I feel about my <laughs> my face as well. You know, that would that would be my... I would really appreciate it if, if women would stop lying about that. It's not fair. Yeah, before I ask you the questions that I always ask, yeah. tell me about Grandma Energy. That's an interior decor issue where oh, it's, right. it's true. I am very much beholden to like a, a dusky floral print in autumnal colours. <laughs> I'm Capricorn, so I like earth tones. And when I lived, just me and my kid, full-fledged Grandma decor. I am my own Grandma, Yeah. Do you know what? It's so interesting. number of people I speak to who have separated or started to live on their own again after a long time. And one of the things they love the most yeah. is just being able to do what the hell they yeah, want yeah, with, yeah. Their, yes. with their yep. interiors. Yep. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I sourced medieval reproduction, unicorn and griffin tapestry wallpaper from Thailand from my office. You know, like... Is that one wall or that is that, that it became look? a feature wall? Yeah. 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 You said that might be for long yeah, unless yeah. you got very high yeah. ceilings. Yeah. But that was like not grandma energy, that was like ancestral energy. <laughs> yeah, that's not grandma, that's just different. Yeah. It's just not mid century. No, no. It was it was oh. all fifteenth century. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, questions I always ask. What's your emotional age? I feel like we've talked about this a lot already. Who's my emotional age? I think I'm exactly the age I am. I mean, I feel girlish, but the reason I wouldn't answer 20s is because my 20s were pretty miserable. So girlish doesn't feel right. So I think I'm the age I am. Yeah. I mean, I, I say every week, I'm completely fascinated by this question and, and the answers, because I think one of the things that comes through again mm. and again and so consistently is that women in their like 40s and upwards, mm. well, it's literally up to 90 feel younger than they have for a long time but would never go back yeah yeah well that 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 cliches are cliches for a reason you know it's accurate um 
give us a book recommendation. Ooh, um, I love, this is a funny one, Acts of Desperation by Megan Nolan, which is a novel about coercive control that sort of feels like a really smart horror movie. Feels like a Rosemary's Baby. And she is a brilliant young writer. That's the funny thing is that she's, I think she's either late 20s or early 30s and it's very much sort of millennial horror. But I see that girl, I recognise that girl, I want to reach in and rescue that girl. Yeah, it's a brilliant novel. Um, On that note, what advice would you give younger women? Uh, What advice would I give younger women? Oh, well, I can be a complete killjoy and say, I think I've benefited physically and mentally from not having been a drinker. And that coming back to England from two decades in America, the, the cultural celebration of British drunkenness disturbs me. You know, ha ha, it's a rite of passage. I'm like, that's not healthy. (laughs) That's not healthy. So I would say you can drink less, you know, you don't have to bond through drinking. I hate that it's wine o'clock, you know, rosé all day and mummy's drunk because blah, blah. I just, that all makes me sad. But, but but I probably am just a killjoy. No, it's, I think it's really true. And there's a sense that, I mean, until I got COVID, Mm. was quite a big drinker Mm. and, um, it's actually really quite hard to not drink. In England. Mm. Yeah, I think so too. So I'm glad those decades were in the US, which just doesn't have the same... It's a choice, it's an option, it's fine, and it's done generally in moderation, but there isn't the same um, glamorization of it. Yeah, the kind of weekend blowout yeah. every weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's your old bird role model? Oh, easy peasy. Um, she's not old. She's older than me. Nana Cherry, who I recently found out. I think her name potentially is pronounced Nana Cherry. Someone told me this, but I'm going to go with what I always called her, Nana Cherry, uh, who I adored when I was 11, when Raw Like Sushi came out. And I think there was a subliminal impact to seeing a woman who was heavily pregnant on top of the pops and then in her incredibly... Um, sexy music video was actually holding her baby in her arms while she rapped and danced had a turban in her hair because her hair was wet from drying so this blueprint for a woman's own version of what domestic life can look like I think was huge for me and she still seems pretty solid and amazing to me she's very cool I'm very grateful for the nena in my DNA You've reeled off so many older cool women, though, during the course oh, of this good. conversation, like who actually haven't come up before, mm. like Cher yeah. and Angelica Houston yeah. and, you know, Debbie Harry. Yeah. yeah. So many. What's your superpower? My superpower is impulsivity because everyone's um, greatest gift is also their greatest fault, you know, always. And impulsivity's gotten me into the most trouble and it's gotten me the greatest success and joy and freedom and sex and all the good things so yeah that's an easy answer for me what's the most impulsive thing you've ever done i mean i have a bunch of tattoos that i didn't even really care what they were um i just wanted them so that's probably not super smart but um i directed a film a couple of years ago called untogether that starred jamie dornan and jemima kirk and the thing is with directing you have to go into it knowing that it's your job to make quick decisions accepting that they may be the wrong decision so that was a massive gift for me to get to do that even if I never get to do it again that was huge yeah 
And lastly, how many fucks do you give? Um, I think seven. Yeah, I give some. I totally give some. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Why seven? Uh, because it's both too many to give, but probably a lucky number. So again, our, our greatest downfall is our is also our freedom. I give fucks, but that's not the end of the world. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thanks, Emma. Oh, thanks. thanks so much. Thank you really for great. asking me to do it. And yeah. Oh, no, not at all. And I absolutely loved the book. Thank you. Loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash the shift. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.